0: Welcome to That's Lit with me, Shazzy D here from home. Most of you would obviously know me from my radio show, uh, but I've decided to do something a little bit different. And yeah, as we all know, coronavirus unfortunately has forced most of us to be at home. So yeah, I'm going to take my show from home and still interview some guests also from their homes. So joining me back... On the show is Mark Radomsky, writer, producer, director, all of the above. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me again this time. Now, Mark, you're back again, and we are going to be talking again about the Sydney South African Film Festival, and it's a little bit different this year. It is.
1: I mean, so last year we ran the inaugural festival, um, and, you know, we're a... I guess we're a charity festival in a sense. We were set up to help an organisation in South Africa called Education Without Borders that works with different schools. And our festival was set up to raise funds to help run a school in Belleville South, a, a disadvantaged school in Belleville South just outside of Cape Town. So we did that last year and it was, yeah, really well received and pretty successful. We actually managed to raise quite a lot of money for the school, um, which obviously all the proceeds of the festival went to the school pretty, we were raised enough to run the school for a year basically to yeah. feed all the kids and provide tutoring and after, after school care and, and all of the stuff that education without borders does. So, you know, we wanted to do it again this year and then, COVID. so we were, we were all pretty much going, do we postpone, do we cancel? Other film festivals were canceling all around. And then we just felt that the school, you know, that we couldn't just drop our commitments to helping the school. So we decided to try and do this online. And we began exploring that and setting it all up. And that was all going well. And then the Sydney Film Festival joined with a whole bunch of other film festivals and decided that they were running virtually as well at exactly the same time we were running. So we had to then just jump everything forward like three weeks.
0: So what was that whole process like trying to get this from, you know, traditional screenings to like taking it virtual? Is it a, a tricky uh, thing to do?
1: It, it is and it isn't. It's, it's kind of weird, you know. Um, it's First of all, you just got to find a platform and then you got to find a way that people can buy tickets either for the whole festival or for individual screenings. And then you've got to work out how, what kind of a window you can create because, you know, if, if the film screening in the cinema are at seven o'clock, that's great. But if it's screening online at seven o'clock, no one's used to necessarily being there online. So it's kind of like we still wanted to have a sense of a film festival so that, you know, there we're going to be interviews with, with directors or people in the film, there was a sense that it was not just watching a film like you'd watch it on Netflix. So we kind of had to have a sort of window that all of that stuff would be happening in so you can still create the sense of everyone's got to come to this place between 7 and 10 and and access the material and the interviews and, and, and view the film. And also because you have licence fees and, and, and a various window from the producers, you can't just put the film up online forever. Mm-hmm. So working all of that out was kind of tricky, but came together quite well, actually, in the end. We're actually going to do 10 films rather than eight this time.
0: So segueing straight into the films, uh, which for me, I love films. So can you kind of talk about, you know, what's, what's coming? What can people expect?
1: You, we've got a great range of films, I think. And, and we also tried to change things around and up the ante a little bit, you know, in terms of what we were selecting. So um, we have a range of documentaries and feature films. And some, like, one of the films is, there's this famous South African story called Phyllis Phyllis Child, which was about a white kid that was abandoned and brought up by a colored family in the 1800s and then, he was discovered and removed, and it's a, it's a kind of epic story of this family and the impacts of this family and the impact on the white kid who was then taken away from from this family that had brought him back, and it's a, it sort of takes place over sort of twenty years, the story, and it's set in the eighteen hundreds, and it's quite a it's a well known story. This is about the third or fourth time the film has been made, and it's it's quite. It's all in Afrikaans and it's, quite a, it's just quite a beautiful, well-shot, well-crafted film, you know, that sort of tells that whole story of colonialism through the perspective of this mixed race family that brings up this abandoned white child who then regards them as his family rather than um, his birth mother. and the the battleground between all of that. So that's Phyllis Akin, so that's quite an amazing film. There's a fantastic documentary called Beyond Moving about a young dancer that gets, this kid is just amazing. And like at eight years old, the footage of him at eight years old um, is just incredible. And so some Canadians who were on holiday in, in South Africa, Saw this kid, and he was part of a. There's a, a, a white woman who was working to teach ballet to the kids in the township, and, and, and they'd come along to a performance and they decided to sponsor this kid. And, and it's the story of him then going to Canada and getting into one of the top dance schools in Canada, and again, in a true story about how he has these two families. So that's called Beyond Moving, a really fantastic film. We're going to We've got Johnny Clegg, The White Zulu, the, the documentary made for French television on John. You know, he sadly passed away um, last year. Um, and that was kind of, I, can't, I actually knew Johnny in, in South Africa and it was oh, sort okay. of quite a tragedy, that whole thing. And a really good friend of mine played drums in his band. And, it, you know, so, so we, we've got the films called Johnny Clegg, The White Zulu.
0: Can you maybe explain a little bit just about his life for those who may not know who he is?
1: So, okay, so Johnny Clegg um, was a kind of white Jewish professor of anthropology, and he got very involved in Zulu culture and in the mining. Through his anthropology, he got very involved in in the kind of Zulu mining culture um, and spent a lot of time there and 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 sort of became, uh, I guess, adopted by by the Zulus because they call him the White Zulu. So he he and he tied up with 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 the Zulu chieftain called Sifumo and they formed this band initially called Juluka, which means sweat. And it was a kind of folky band that was that brought together all of that Zulu culture into Johnny's sort of folksy kind of world and that became a really successful band. And then um, they had these incredible dance sequences and he's an, he's an amazing dancer, Johnny and and Sipo was an amazing, and and they had all these other dancers and, and the shows were just incredible. And they would talk about the wars between the Boers and the Zulus and that whole sense of culture and this whole sense of Africa and the land and the culture and the African sky and, and all of that. Just a sense of belonging, I guess is what it was all about and how, white and black had come together in, in, the, in that sense. So they were almost one of the first bands that really broke that through and took that whole story internationally. They were very big in France. And then they, then when they, they got offered a big multi-million dollar deal and Sipa was just kind of like, that's just not me. I'm going back to my crawl in Zululand and you, Johnny, can take this over. And so Johnny had to reform the band and he formed the band Savuka. Which then became quite a international band, an international act. So, and Savuka became quite an internationally well-renowned band, very, very big in France um, and quite big all over the world. And and they really performed all the way up to just before the end of last year when Johnny, I mean Johnny, got sick and they had to stop. They were meant to come here to Australia and. I think at the beginning of that, he got sick and they had to cancel the tour. Mm. I of course had tickets, um, and then when they came back and did that tour, I couldn't be there. But um, mm. so, and it's you just knew him? He, I did know him. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and he was a you know, yeah, he was an original. He was, and there was nothing, nothing unoriginal about him in that sense, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, so look, it's a, he, he's a, a, a legend in South Africa and he'd be a legend in France and, and really one of the first that really was able to bridge that gap in an authentic way. So this film kind of tracks that journey and it tracks his history. So it's not just, it looks at that whole notion of apartheid and the mines and the segregation and how this kind of Jewish professor puts his life and his freedom at risk to kind of go and do that. And, you know, they were banned and they were arrested and there was all of that kind of stuff going on at the time. So that's a, uh, and then as a sister film to that, we have a kind of shorter documentary about someone I'd never heard of called Billy Monk. And Billy Monk was kind of like a bouncer. He was kind of, he's also, he's also no longer with us. He was murdered. Oh, um, and he, was this kind of fish out of water dude who ended up being a bouncer in, in Cape Town under the Group Areas Act in in, this, in the catacombs, in this kind of seedy nightlife kind of, you know, hookers and sailors and all of this stuff that was completely illegitimate under apartheid and the Group Areas Act. There was this nightlife that went on in this club that he was the bouncer of. And he was an amazing instinctive photographer, so he actually documented this whole period of nightlife before they moved in and, and did the group Errors Act and removed everybody and shut all that down. Mm-hmm. and his photographs are this incredible tapestry of this like illegal underworld that you know that nobody knew about officially. And then, and then he, he got into an argument with someone about 20 years later and ended up being shot dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called Billy Monk Shot in the Dark, and it's kind of like Shot in the Dark as in photography.
0: Shot
1: in the Dark as in being shot in the back. Mm. So that's a kind of untold story that's really interesting. And that, along with Johnny, they're both kind of white men that, you know, dealt with the times that they found themselves in, mm. in, in, in intrinsic and quite unique ways, and both left a huge archive of valuable work about those times, Johnny with music and Billy with his photographs. Mm-hmm. So that's quite, you know, that's quite a, a, a nice thing. Then we have a film that I'm, that I'm really quite excited about called The Last Victims. Okay. Which is one of the first films that looks at the, the whole Truth and Reconciliation Commission process, but not through the Truth and Reconciliation Permi- Commission itself. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know what that was, the TRC, you know, all the, the state sanctioned murder and brutality that happened in order to keep apartheid in place through the 80s and the 90s before Mandela, um, there were apartheid death squads and secret police forces that would, you know, that were charged with sowing um, terror really throughout the country arresting apartheid activists and black kids and just sowing that kind of terror to maintain the, the power of apartheid. And there was one very famous secret cell run by a, a guy called Eugene De Dukok who's now stood in jail, thankfully. And they were a notorious death squad and they just would take these guys, arrest people, abduct them, interrogate them, torture them, murder them and bury them. Wow. And this, and hundreds of people. So this film, The Last Victims, is a kind of really brave attempt, made by an Afrikaans filmmaker and an Indian producer. Um, It's a, it tells the story of a perpetrator, one of those apartheid killers, who kind of later on in life tries to seek redemption by asking forgiveness of one of his victims. And they go on this road movie to find where the bodies are buried. Um, and it's quite a, you know, it's, it's a really brave, visceral, quite confronting film. Cause as they go on the road movie, they obviously come into the obstacles of people that don't want them to find out and the secrets start getting exposed and the relationship between them, you know, because obviously this is the, the boyfriend of an activist that the guy murdered. And this, this is this, The guy that he seeks forgiveness from is a guy that he brutally beat up and the same night that he murdered his girlfriend. So, you know, that relationship and how that kind of works with these two guys in this car trying to find both seeking some kind of closure and redemption is a very brave and amazing film. Mm. So, and Lloyd Vogelman, who um, is, he started a thing called the Centre for... Violence and Reconciliation, which was a kind of think tank organisation in South Africa that looked at how you deal with violence. He's actually here in Australia and he's going to be the mediator when he talks to the filmmakers about this, about this film. So that's a really quite exciting, I think, a really exciting thing. And, and for people who, just because it's told from the, unflinchingly from the perspective of a perpetrator. Mm. And don't often, we've never seen that before. Mm.
0: I guess the last film you're just talking about, like for people who are ready for something very confronting or who are ready to, you know, see something like that, I guess it would be a very intense, but I guess what, what word would you say, like coming out of the film? I guess you, you've seen it. Yes, it, it it's intense and it's confronting,
1: but it's important and it's kind of eye-opening and it's quite inspiring also, you know? it's It's quite affirming in the sense of just a common humanity
0: yeah. and,
1: and, 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 and kind of the things that we can end up finding ourselves sucked into or forced to do or for whatever reason we end up doing these abhorrent things and then how you can kind of still try and retain your sense of humanity. Now, and that's a real metaphor for everything to do with apartheid, for everyone who ever lived through it or lived through South Africa. Beyond and now, you know, and it's a metaphor for what we're doing right now when we deal with refugees and with with everything that we're looking at in in, in our world right now, you know. So I mean on the other side, there's another fantastic film made by Angus Gibson, who was my ex-partner in Free Filmmakers, and he was he was the co-director of the Oscar nominated biography of Nelson Mandela that we made in nineteen ninety. I think it was 1996 or whatever when that, when Angus made that film and he's made a film called back of the moon, which looks at Sophia town in the fifties. Now Sophia town was in the same way that the catacombs in Cape town was this kind of place of culture and mixing and whatever. So was Sophia town outside of Johannesburg and the great Miriam Makeba and Huma Sakela and all these legendary musicians used to play there and white people and black people. And, mixed race people and everyone was kind of there. And it was all this kind of melting pot until they moved in with a group areas act and removed everybody and, and turned that into a kind of white Afrikaans place, and moved all the black people out to Soweto and all of that. This film takes place on the night, on the last night before those removals. Mm. And Angus originally way back when, made a documentary about this, about Freedom Square and Back of the Moon. The, the club is called Back of the Moon. And he'd made a documentary about it. And he was, you know, we were. that was when I was really just starting out as a filmmaker and he was my mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, he was criticised for romanticising the gangsterism that was going on in Safaitan at the time with the Mapansulas and all of that and, and kind of black gangs that were running the place and running the Shabins and all of that. And he, was, he was criticized for romanticizing it and for whitewashing that whole thing. And this film now is a feature film called Back of the Moon, which is a fantastic, amazing film that takes place. And it's really about a gangster who is quite an intellectual at war with the other gangsters who are really looking for, to take over the power, and he's the head gangster, and a singer who's really Maria Makeba and and it's the last night, and it's their relationship, um, how that develops across the night, and how it ends with all the trauma of the gangsterism that plays into that, and then the very we know that the very next day, the police are coming in to basically destroy the whole community. So, I guess it's Angus returning to to that criticism in, 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 a, in a feature film sense and, and making a film now that is quite unflinching in terms of what that violence actually amongst the Pansulas is. Um, but it's also a really amazing and beautiful love story. So that's, that's our closing film. It's called Back of the Moon, and I'd really encourage people to watch it. That's
0: fantastic. And you also have uh, Q&As as you were talking. A few people are they cut? Going to be, good. yeah.
1: So, we're we, we trying. So, I'll be talking to Angus about Back of the Moon and setting that context about that whole kind of um tapestry that that fed into him doing that film now. Mm-hmm. Um, Last Victims, as I said, Lloyd Vogelman will be talking to them. Other people are talking to all the all the various directors um, and filmmakers about the film. Um, we have a documentary called Buddha in Africa, which is the same as we did last year with that Swaziland documentary. This documentary is. Set in um, in Malawi, Mm -hmm. and it's about it's kind of like about how a Chinese Buddhist organization has moved in and is is training kids Mm -hmm. in um, kung fu and all of that. And it's kind of it's about cultural appropriation. Really, it's a quite of it's a beautiful film um, documentary with incredible access that tracks the journey of these kids through this Chinese program and the harsh kind of Kung Fu discipline. And it just starts getting into the, the thing about here's this kid, there's their family, but they're living with this family. It's, it's that whole story um, around, I guess, cultural appropriation and the, the way children can be trained, manipulated, but also empowered. Mm. So that all these dualities with the film. so we'll be in an interview with, with the filmmaker of that as well. So, and we're talking to Hilton Rosenthal, who was the guy who was Johnny Clegg's music producer. Mm-hmm. He also happens to live in Australia now, and so he'll be talking about Johnny.:
0: Nice. So you have a big lineup that is not also just the film. You also have you know, some extra things that people can get out of the festival.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just to give a sense of a festival rather than just an online platform that you can get on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So we still want to have the sense that there's added value and there's you're a part of something, um, and you can you know you can book for the whole you can book a season pass for the whole festival or you can sort of go in for individual films. So we launch on the sixteenth of May all the way through to the twenty fifth of May.
0: Yes, right. All right. So not very long.
1: And so what
0: what would you say to someone, you know, about the festival? What overall, what can they get out of it? I think overall
1: you're gonna get a real you're gonna get a sense of history and you're gonna get a sense of currency. And you're gonna get a sense of the energy that is going on in South Africa that I think, you know, that we hear so much negative stuff and we hear so much trauma. I and mean, one of the other films is How to Steal a Country, which is the story of the Gupta family and Jacob Zuma, this Indian family that came in and literally stole. They had date with Jacob Zuma as one of their kind of little, almost like a puppet president, and it's ridiculous amounts of money that they stole, trillions of Wow. Brand. Zuma was... And it's the film that follows the journalists that unpacked all of that corruption. And it's the corruption that ultimately brought Jacob Zuma down. Mm. And it's quite staggering just when you see the amounts and you see how these people, they lived in this huge compound with incredible houses and had weddings that made kind of Hollywood movies look small. Wow. You know, all the stolen money. So we have that. And then we have this kind of positive energy, the sense of we want to tell our stories in authentic and uncompromising ways. We want to celebrate the good without whitewashing or pretending the bad isn't there. And I think this mix of the films gives you the history of that and the currency of kind of what's going on now. They're, they're really, they're amazing films. Angus's film, I mean, if you wouldn't be a misthinking Martin Scorsese made that film. It's at that kind of level of quality with much less money. So there's this incredible energy. So you're going to get a sense of South Africa. You're going to get a sense of the history. You're going to get a sense of the place now. You're going to get a sense of what's confronting, but you're also going to come away with an enormous sense of spirit and hope. I think that's what you're going to get. So for me, it's, it's, it's interesting as a filmmaker here in Australia, which is, You know, looking at my contemporaries and friends making these films in South Africa, and I get quite jealous when, because there's a sense of purpose still that we had when we were making films around the fall of apartheid that I had. And I had to leave because of this great sense of disillusionment at the way it all kind of fell apart after Mandela. But it seems, you know, that everyone who stayed there has not let that get them down and they're claiming the space and, 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 refusing to go away, and that's amazing, you know. So I
0: think we get that, and that's affirming as well. And that is a perfect way to end our interview. Thank you so much, Mark, for, you know, coming back and having the chat.
1: Cheers. That's great. And I hope people just, yeah, tune in and buy tickets, and it's all for a good cause. Everything goes to support a charity that feeds kids every day. Right now, we're also looking at getting more online learning iPad kind of capability to them because, you know, kids aren't at school now, but food is a big issue when people can't work. And so we're really happy to be able to do this and, you know, that we will be sending money over to our school in Belleville South. So COVID didn't nail us.